Well, good morning. It is awesome to be together. I'm Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I want to introduce you to my brother, Dave Graffenberger. Dave is one of our impact partners. And uh, 30 seconds, summary of your career. Hallelujah. Amen. I was so blessed when uh, my brother Aaron uh, talked about the impact of investment in uh, 30 seconds. 1993, uh, myself and the Collins were working in Russia. And uh, one of the things that ended up was a, vo- a seminary. And today, that seminary in Moscow, Russia, one of the few that's still open, has 517 students. And about 600 auditors. God is building his church. And uh, the prayer request I would give you is, we have a school in Haiti started as a vocational Bible school in 1967, a day or two ago, 30 seconds. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, two weeks from today, I'll be there for the graduation, and there are 200 students in that school. Hmm. Uh, your investment, first in prayer, the greatest thing you can do is pray. And the second is investing in partners, impact partners, like my wife and myself. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I I, I saw Dave and I said, you know what? I think Dave has forgotten more about prayer than I know. So I said, can you give me one word about prayer? What's that one word you gave me? Perseverance. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in the powerful, strong name, your holy, holy, holy name, we say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your angels, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we can live that holy life that we've just sung about. Thank you, Lord, that you call each one of us where we are. How each one of us have a special, special opportunity to live and speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be faithful. Help us to persevere. Anoint my brother as he ministers your word this morning. Father, we commit this body of believers to you. In the strong, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give Dave some encouragement.
I don't know about you, but when I see people that have been following Jesus for a long time and they have persevered, I am encouraged. I am encouraged. So thanks, Dave, for that, that word. I'm not a tech guy, but maybe that helps. So this morning, we're going to start a series on prayer. We just celebrated the resurrection. Amen? We were on a road to the cross. We went to Gethsemane. We went to a lot of hard places. And then we celebrated the resurrection together. And we said last week, if the resurrection is true, if it's true, thank you, Jesus, it's true then I can have a life with God. God is for you. We can have a life with God that we can actually experience. And my friends, at the absolute center of that life with God is prayer, is prayer. So we're going to take the next six weeks And we're going to dive in, and what better way to learn about prayer than to learn from the master himself? So we're going to take a look at some of Jesus' prayers. We're going to spend three weeks on the Lord's Prayer. We're going to spend a couple weeks on Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, and then we're going to finish in Gethsemane again. You're going to hear from, uh, from different pastors as we go here. And part of what we want to do in this series is, even as I, hear, as I hear Dave and I hear Adam and I hear their passion for Jesus, their passion for their gospel, their passion for the kingdom, I want us all to be encouraged during this series. Now, as we dive in, we're going to look at uh, a couple passages from the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. But one of the mysteries of prayer is this, and Matt already alluded to it. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. God is other. His ways are not our ways. He is set apart. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is all the omnis. And yet... He invites us to pray. Little old imperfect me in you and us. The God of the universe, the creator of the universe, actually invites us to pray about everything. Now right there at the center of prayer is this awe and intimacy. So when we approach God, that is our posture. It is both holy, 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 and Abba Father. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to dive in, but this is, um, as I was praying about what to teach you all on prayer, 
And let me just say this at the beginning. I am on a journey with you. And God has revealed some things to me even this week that I want to pass on to you through his word. This is not a complicated 10-point message about strategies for prayer. Some of you may say amen. Some of you may say I'm disappointed in that. Usually preachers, we give you like three points. Today's a one-point sermon. And it's pretty simple, but I believe it's the key. And we'll get there in a moment. But I begin with Luke 11, chapter 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. I want you to pause there for a moment. I want you to consider that. I want you to put yourself there. You've been following Jesus for a minute. You've grown up. You know the Psalms. You know the Old Testament. And then at this moment in time, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Why would they ask that question? Was prayer a new thing to them? No. They already had the Psalms. They had 150 different prayers. If you're looking for a way to get... I'll give you one practical tip here. I can't resist that. You can do a lot worse than praying through the Psalms if you want to get started in prayer. Really interesting, when you look at the Psalms, you get a range of emotions in the Psalms. Even this Wednesday in our, in our class where we're, we're trying to learn about how to care, how to be helping to those who are vulnerable and really going through hard times, don't turn there now, it'll discourage you. But I read Psalm 88, which there's two Psalms that don't resolve themselves. They end in a distant place. They end in a dark place. But part of what that says is we can bring everything to God. Even when our theology isn't perfect. Even when we have complaints. Anybody come in here this morning with a complaint against God? I know deep down you do. Some of you do. He invites us to come to him. But why would Jesus' disciples who, who knew all this say, hey, teach us to pray? Well, there was something about the prayers of Jesus that was just different. He prayed in a way that was different. So we want to take Jesus at his word this morning. I love the title of a little book uh, I just read by Sky Jatani says in, in the title I, I just love, what if Jesus was serious about prayer? What if Jesus was serious about prayer? I believe there comes a time in our journey as followers of Jesus where it's time to take Jesus seriously about prayer. So we're going to do that this morning. And I want you to start with me here. When we think about prayer, 
There's a who, what, when, why, where, and how to prayer. I'm only going to talk about one of them this morning, and that's the one that I believe is the most important. And we're in a kick in our society where everybody's about the why and purpose and all those kinds of things. You go to any workshop about anything, and that seems to be what you hear. But I don't think that's the most important question. I think the most important question is who? To whom are you praying? To whom are you praying? Because, my friends, how we answer that question makes all the difference. I want to take you to the Gospel of Matthew, which is a parallel passage. Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I want to make just a couple observations about that introduction First of all, prayer is not about impressing others. It's not about impressing others. It's not about performance. Three kids, it's uh, one of the things that's uh, just part of parenting is listening to your kids pray. One of my kids, who will go unnamed, had a prayer voice. And the other two unnamed children would say, unnamed person, always prays with a certain kind of affected tone. And they called it, this person unnamed, prayer voice. And what was underneath that was maybe there was a desire to impress in that voice. Maybe, maybe not. But I would ask you this morning, is there something in you that says, I have to have a prayer voice with the intent of impressing others? Jesus would say, if that's there, don't don't be about that. He also says it's not about babbling. It's not about the many words. It's, it's, It's not about manipulating to be heard. Now, one of the things we need to be careful of is as we, as we hear some of Jesus' teachings about prayer, he's describing a particular type of prayer. He's talking about a prayer of intimacy, and he's going to give some instructions about going into your room and shutting the door. Does that mean we don't pray in public? Absolutely not. We gather together, we're encouraged by each other's prayer, 
but there is a particular response to the question, to whom am I praying, that Jesus is getting at here. Because you see, the God of the universe invites us to have an intimate relationship with him. One-on-one. One-on-one. We don't... It's good to have others. There's time for others. But what does your personal prayer life look like? What does that look like? And how do you relate? How do you come to God this morning? I want us to be careful that we do not see prayer as simply a transaction. If I do blank, then God will blank. I think underneath these warnings is that warning to be careful of those prayers. Now this morning, as we dive into the who question, I want us to consider what our prayers reveal about our vision of God. The text tells us that God already knows what you need before you ask him. The natural question to that is then, well, why even pray? Because it's about more than simply getting what you want. It's about something deeper than that. Back to the Gospel of Luke 11, verse 5, or verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is inviting us to pursue him. To ask, to seek, and to knock. Pursue me and I will respond. Jesus says, I will respond. Now what does that response look like? And in your Bible, in your functional Bible, you've got a Bible that you carry, whether it's paper, whether it's on your phone, but I believe we all have a functional Bible. What is your functional Bible? That's where you go when life gets really hard. It's where you go when you have to adjust your thinking. We all have a functional Bible. We want to expand that functional Bible, but part of the functional Bible I want you all to have are some dots I'm going to connect for you. One of those is in this passage in Luke 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is where I need you to have a functional Bible. I, I love, I, I, 
you've got to get this down. You, you've, I, I think this is one of the keys to following Jesus, one of the keys to persevering in prayer. Are you with me? Do you want to persevere? Or do you just want to flame out? I believe we're called to persevere. Now, here's the, here's the line we got to draw. What is Jesus saying? Ask me and I will give you whatever you want. Now, what's he promised to give us? He says, I will give you the Holy Spirit. I will give you the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where you need a functional Bible. When you hear that, when you see that, I want you to go to Romans 8, 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Dada. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. If you have a life with God, does that mean life is going to be rainbows and unicorns? The answer is no. Part of following Jesus is committing to suffer. That's a commitment we make to follow him. Now, how much more will God give us the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Reminds us who we are in Christ. You're a child. If you've put your faith and your trust in Christ, doesn't mean you're perfect, doesn't mean you've got it all figured out. You are a child of God. You're a child of God. Now, if you haven't taken that step, you're not. It's time. Say, I don't have it all figured out, but I, I can pray to receive Christ. I can do that today and become a part of God's family and relate to God as Father. But this is what God promises to us. Now, Father language can be hard for some of you. I'm just going to say that out loud because of the pain of your relationship with your earthly father. And sometimes we have to filter, sometimes that can distort our view of God because of our relationship with our earthly father. So when, I, when some people hear father, it's difficult for them. Part of what we've got to do is flip that lens a little bit. And see, first, through the lens of God's perfect love for us, the, God, the, the lens of the love that's so great that he sent his son to die for us. But I may need the Lord to help me flip that lens a little bit. So we come to God and we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, at once both relational and experiential, approachable. What can be more approachable than 
Abba, Dada. What can be more holy than hallowed be your name? We've got to have both. We've got to have both. One describes the relationship and the experience. The other describes the majesty, the glory, the power, the authority, the character of God in the honor, respect, and reverence he deserves. Now, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Some of us struggle with prayer. We find prayer hard. Anybody with me on that? I find prayer hard sometimes. And you know what my biggest problem with prayer is? It's me. Because I like to be in control. Anybody with me? I'm the only control freak out there. Now, control can be an idol and it can be an illusion. I want you to ponder that for a moment. How might control be an idol in your life? How might it be an illusion? Well, I got a big meeting today. I got to get up early and get ready for it. I don't have time to pray. Ever done that? Who's in control? (laughs) Who do you think's in control? Wow, that extra preparation is so much more valuable than the creator of the universe intervening on my behalf. That's just not very smart thinking sometimes. And I'm guilty of that. My guess is I'm not the only one. Now, I want to give you an illustration that that has helped me this week. And maybe it'll be helpful for you. Uh, Dutch theologian, writer, professor, smart dude. Henry Nouwen gives this illustration, and I'm going to take it and kind of make it my own a little bit here, but i got to give him credit for it, because I'm an old English teacher and you're not allowed to plagiarize. But this is what Nouwen says. He says, he was fascinated by trapeze artists, of all things, and he loved to watch the trapeze artists perform, and he was at a, you know, some circus in Germany, and he's watching these trapeze artists. And he says, everybody makes a big deal about all the flips and all the wonderful, free-flowing things that the trapeze artists do. But he said, who's the most important person in that trapeze artist troupe? It's the catcher. It's the catcher. And he says this, when you, the more that you trust the catcher, the more joy and freedom you have in life. Because no matter what, you know that the catcher is there. You know that the catcher is there. He says it this way, I can only fly freely when I know there is a catcher to catch me. 
If we are to take risks to be free in the air in life, we have to know there's a catcher. We have to know that when we come down from it all, we're going to be caught, we're going to be safe. The great hero is the least visible. Trust the catcher. Trust the catcher. Now, now when he's like in his 70s and he, he says, take me up, I want to experience this. So they, they put him in the harness and, you know, bespectacled professor and he's, you know, giggling like a child free because the harness, he, know he's gonna, he knows he's going to be caught. He goes down, take me up again. But my friends, let me ask you this morning, do you trust the catcher? Because when you trust the catcher, when I trust the catcher, when we trust the catcher, oh, we can be free. We can be free to follow Jesus through any circumstance, through any feeling. So would you trust the catcher this morning, the one who we can call Abba Father, which means he, we have a relationship, a closeness, an intimacy, and hallowed be your name, the one who's powerful enough to catch us, the one who sent his son to die on the cross to understand all that we go through, and the one who rose from the dead to defeat death. So the catcher catches us beyond the grave. Amen? So simple challenge this week, would you trust the catcher? And when you do that, simply by starting your day, each day, today, tomorrow, every day this week, simply start your day with prayer. I've got a prayer card for you on your way out if you need help with that, but start your day with prayer and trust the catcher. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you're good and you're powerful. That we can stand before you in awe and have intimacy with you. May we see that clearly so that we can indeed trust you. Help us each to live that out this week. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. When we talk about trusting the catcher, We come to the communion table. And as we prepare our hearts, we want to have a moment to examine our hearts. We want to have a moment to say, you know what? There's some ways I haven't trusted God this morning. There's some ways I've worshipped that idol of control. I've, I've bought that lie. And I need to ask for forgiveness. You can do that now. But know this, when we come to the communion table together, we come as a family, as those who put our faith and our trust in Christ. And the bread and the cup represent the objective truth that we can trust the catcher. Because Jesus died on that cross for us, and he rose. So friends, we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples, the same ones that he had taught how to pray, 
And he took the bread and he broke it. And after blessing it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Take now, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. May we receive together. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup. He says, this represents my blood. The blood of the new covenant blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Just as we receive the bread, may we now receive the cup. Again, Jesus, we simply say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we can trust you. And it's in your name, the name that is above all names, that we pray. Amen. Amen.